0: I just want to say a word about uh, one of our staff leaders and, and his team. I got a text uh, probably a, an hour or so after the service, and all the chairs were removed. And I also found this. The team that was supposed to install our chairs, many of them were from Florida, and they weren't able to. So Billy Poor, our executive pastor, and Corey Poor, and a group of staff and volunteers put these in. And I just got to tell you, so much of the good things that happen at New Spring... about uh, almost 30 years ago the lord allowed me to make a great friend who was a tremendous leader and he ultimately became our executive pastor billy pours one of the finest leaders in america that i know he's very quiet but so much of what happens around here on a human level is billy I'm a dreamer. I have a new idea every few minutes, and Billy's figured out a way to make them come to pass, you know, come to life. So I appreciate so much him and and the entire team of leaders and volunteers, staff leaders and volunteers who did that. And by the way, I appreciate all of you who are volunteering. You know, people always tell me that they feel something when they drive onto the property, and I always believe that's volunteers. There's a spirit where people are serving out of love, and I really do feel that here at, at New Spring. Well, let's start the series. How about this for a statement? How about resolving something in your mind? And we'll talk about it as we go along, but I want to get you started. And it, it goes like this. God is all-powerful, and he has a wonderful plan for your life, but bad things happen. How are you going to resolve that? How are you going to resolve that, that what feels like cognitive dissonance? I have friends who are an atheist, and they will say basically, and, and they, they say it kindly to me, but they say, Mark, God cannot exist as you define him. And I'll say, why not? And they'll say, well, here's the thing. You say that your God is all good and all powerful. Evil exists. Ergo, your God cannot be what you present him to be. Because if he's all good and evil exists, then he must not be all powerful. He's not powerful to stop it. On the other hand, if your God is all powerful and evil exists, he cannot be all good because evil exists. And they, they argue that as kind of a circular argument. Well, we know biblically the answer to that question but I'm not talking about theology right now. I mean, all of us could theologically define that. You know, when we're talking about bad things happening to somebody else, then we can sort of back up and look at it from a theoretical standpoint and say, well, this is a God follower who's experiencing some bad things. And we can say, yes, God does have a wonderful plan for her life, and we can, we can, we can work it out theologically. But what happens when it's you? What happens when it's you getting that phone call in the middle of the night from a police officer? What happens when it's you sitting in the doctor's office and you've gone in for a routine physical and the doctor is saying the C word? You're a God follower. How do you resolve the fact that God is a wonderful God who loves you and has a great plan for your life, but bad things happen in your life? Well, let's just leave that there for a few moments. We'll come back to it and we'll talk about it. I just know, having lived as many years as I've lived and pastored as many thousands of people and heard their stories as I have. I just know that there's something in the human spirit that longs to get to the place where everything works out. You just, you want to get to that place. We feel that. I feel that. I think God has put hope in the human heart. So consequently, we we want to get to that place where we have enough money to pay all our bills. You know, maybe we're not there now. But we can envision somewhere along the line getting the money to pay all our bills. And we just feel like there's some place in life where I'm going to get there. And not only that, I'm going to get married to the person who loves me and who has, uh, uh, you know, has great affection for me. And we're going to have this wonderful marriage. We're going to have kids that have straight teeth and make, (laughs) (laughs) make straight A's and that always make us proud and are always respectful. And we're going to find this job that not only pays well, but the job where we can't wait to get to work, and we have this sense of mission and purpose. And friends, we're going to have friends that love us always, friends that are always in our corner, friends that will stick up for us and will will never misunderstand us. And on top of that, we're going to have time in our life to relax and unwind. I was just talking to a dear friend on my way into the campus. I started to say how old I am, but I'm getting to the place where I kind of want to hide that just a little bit. I'm busier than I've ever been in my life. I mean, I'm just looking at the next three days and and, and all the speaking and traveling that I've got to do, and I'm like, where's the time to relax and unwind that I always thought was going to happen? And on top of that, we're Christ followers, so we, we expect to have this spiritual life that's dynamic, and like every morning when we get up at 5.30, it feels like we're worshiping at New Spring. We just feel the presence of God. We just sort of float on air spiritually. Okay, how many of us really live there? You know, whatever New Spring's faults are, and I'm sure we have them, you know, every once in a while I hear somebody say, well, I don't like organized religion. I'll say you love New Spring because we struggle with organization. <laughs> but whatever we, I mean, it, we, we do. I mean, God is growing us all the time. We're trying to figure out how to catch up. But I will tell you one thing about us, we're real. Whatever our faults and flaws are, we tend to hang them on the line for everybody to see, and New Spring is real. So since we are real, we're just going to wrestle with this. I mean, Do you ever go to a church where it feels like, okay, everything is wonderful if you're a Christian, and if it's not wonderful, then you can't say anything? (laughs) Well, when we're young and idealistic, we think it's just around the corner. Hey, I remember when I was a preteen or when I was in my early teens, I thought life is going to be perfect if I can ever drive. I got so tired of seeing life from the back seat. And I'm like, I cannot wait till I get in that seat behind the steering wheel where I can go where I want to do and have independence. So I used to think when I was a kid, just being real, life will be awesome when I can drive. And then I also thought when I get old enough to date, I can't wait for that. And then I thought, well, you know, when I get into college and if all of you who are in college, you know, the next dream when I get out of college. And then, you know, when I get married and then when I have kids. And then, when the kids grow up and leave. And when I retire, it's sort of like that carrot in front of the proverbial horse, isn't it? I mean, somewhere out there, everything is going to work out. But then reality happens. Stuff happens. Doors close. And I want to say this next line slowly disappointments get hardwired in. Many of us know what that's like. Because. Here's the thing, if you have a dream and you have a disappointment, then you can always feel like, well, maybe later that dream is going to work out. But you and I, many of us have lived long enough to where some of our dreams are never going to happen in this world. And I say this with all sensitivity because it's a very painful thing. But some of you, when you got married, you believed it was going to last a lifetime. But now the person you were with has decided he doesn't want to be with you anymore. And he moves on with his life. And you just know that that disappointment's hardwired in. It's not going to change. And when those things happen to us, we realize that the dreams, the plans that we had are not going to come true. So that takes me back to the question that I started with today. How do we resolve God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, but bad things happen. So much is going wrong. Well, I think at that point, it's just human. I mean, I'm not talking just about Christ followers. In fact, I I don't want to talk about Christ followers for a moment. I've, I've talked to a lot of people, listened to a lot of people in life that didn't have God in their lives. And when it happened that their dreams were not coming true, they might go into anger or some go into substance abuse. I mean, there are just all kinds of things that people will do when they realize that life is not going to work out the way they thought it was going to. But those of us who are God followers, we have the Word of God to fall back on. And so we know that our plans for God are not coming true, but we open the Word of God to see if there's some kind of answer. And out of that study that many of us have done, out of that search, there are verses that we've come to love that sort of give us an answer to what is unanswerable in our lives. One of those verses, in fact, many of you have already said, I've seen this on social media in the lead up to this series. One of those verses is Jeremiah 29, 11. I've seen some of you ladies that have this in a piece of jewelry. Others have it on the walls of their house. I have friends who have it inked on their body. Because this is such a powerful verse. And here's the thing. We're going to spend four weeks looking at this one verse. Now, obviously, we'll look at some other scriptures. But this verse is so big to help us resolve that conundrum. God loves me, has a wonderful plan for my life, but bad junk happens. It's so big that many of us fall on this verse. And here it is. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Okay. Right out of the box. We get an answer. See, the thing of it is, when I planned and dreamed what I wanted to happen, it's like me handing, I didn't, maybe this is in a tacit sense, but it's like me handing a sheet of paper to God and saying, God, here are my plans for you. And those don't materialize. But into that difficulty comes the word of God where God says, I know the plans I have, God speaking, for you. Oh, what kind of plans are they? They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future in a hope. So for anyone else today who is here and your life is not coming true the way you thought it was going to come true, we're going to talk about this today and for the next three weeks, but just hear those words. If you're, a, if you're God's daughter, if you're God's son, and, and we'll see in just a moment what the qualifications are for holding this verse, then you can just sort of rest there. I know the plans I have for you, God says, plans to give you a future and a hope, not for disaster. Well, let's just pull over to the side of the road and talk for a moment. Somebody's here today saying, Mark, that's a wonderful promise. If I could believe that, I might be able to make it through what I'm going through right now. I might be able to make it through this breakup. I might be able to make it through. One of the godliest news I know talked to him after the service last night. His wife is, is in hospice right now. We need, we need this kind of promise. So, in the essence of full disclosure and academic honestly here today, let's see if this verse applies to you and me. First of all, we understand there's a history with this verse. And so we're going to go back for just a few moments. If you'll give me the latitude, we're going to go back into the history and see historically what this verse was in the context of. And then we're going to see if it applies to us. It's from the book of Jeremiah. We know that already. And it is written to the people of Judah. Now, I don't want to get into... Bible history too much here, but you've heard me say many times that the the nation that we know of Israel split after the death of Solomon. Ten tribes became known as the northern kingdom, or they took the name Israel. Two tribes became the southern kingdom. We know them as Judah. File that away. Israel went immediately into idolatry. The ten tribes, I mean, even though they they were given some wonderful prophets like Elijah and Elisha, the, the 10 tribes instantly went into idolatry. And if you read the Bible, and sometimes it's a little confusing, isn't it, especially if you're reading Kings and Chronicles, because there are times when it looks like there's two kings on the throne at the same time, and you're not, you're not being gaslighted. There are. There's a king in the northern kingdom. There's a king in the southern kingdom. The Northern Kingdom never had a good king. You, if you've read the Bible, you know how it is when the Bible talks about kings. He either did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, or did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. All the Northern Kingdom kings, for the 500 years of the kingdom or so, they all did evil in the sight of God. But Judah, on the Southern Kingdom, that's where Jerusalem was. Judah, from time to time, would have a good king. I mean, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and on and on it goes. They, they did have some good kings. But they also had a problem with idolatry. I mean, as I said a moment ago, the northern kingdom was always in idolatry, but the southern kingdom kind of vacillated. They would have periods of time when they would go deeply into idolatry, but toward the end, before the captivity, they were pretty well ensconced in idolatry. So this verse that we've read, Jeremiah 29, 11, it's written to Judah. It's written to the southern kingdom. They're in a covenant relationship. This is where Jerusalem is. But they become idolatrous, and instead of being faithful, they love their sin more than they loved God. So I'm going to get a clue right there. I'm not sure I can claim Jeremiah 29:11 11 if I love my sin more than I love God. Well, God had been warning them. A hundred years before, the prophet Isaiah had warned them that if they continued to persist on idolatry, that God was going to let them go into captivity. And not only just let them go into captivity, let them go into captivity to Babylon. Now, the northern kingdom went into captivity by Assyria, but Babylon... When you study the Bible, you'll know that Babylon is—it's it's sort of like the anti-God empire. It starts back in the Book of Genesis with this guy named Nimrod. I mean, we have the Tower of Babel. You have all that stuff. I mean, it's like every time Babylon is mentioned, it's like the anti-God culture. I mean, Babylon is like the anti-Jerusalem. And by the way, when you're in the Book of Revelation and you read about the Antichrist empire that's yet to come, what's it called? Mystery Babylon. So Babylon, I mean, if you talk to a person in Judah, Babylon is, you know, they're the worst people in the world. They're the anti-God crowd. And God is like saying to Judah, if you don't straighten up and quit worshiping idols, I'm going to let you go into captivity, not just to anybody. I'm going to let you go into captivity to Babylon. The people of Judah, when they heard that, they thought, well, there's no way. I mean, that's just, just God blowing off steam here. Well, by the time you get to Jeremiah 29... A hundred years have passed. And all that time, these prophecies of Isaiah have been hanging out there. Either, either leave your idolatry, either leave your love of sin more than God, or you're going to go into captivity to Babylon. And so the people, I mean, a hundred years. What if God gave a promise to America, a warning to America a hundred years ago, and it still hadn't happened? Would we take it seriously? Well, I guess they thought God changed his mind. But a hundred years have passed, and now Jeremiah is riding. And by this time, as I mentioned a moment ago, the northern kingdom's already gone. The Assyrians have come and taken it away, and the Assyrians are on their border for a big part of the last couple of centuries. And Judah's already feeling the heat because they can see Babylon coming, and Babylon is the first great, great world power. Worse is coming, but they still won't obey. Here's the thing. Work with me for a second. Help me, because I'm not talking about history. I'm talking about 2022 and people that I know. I never have understood why people who engage in wrong conduct, they see the fruits of that wrong conduct, but they double down. I've never understood that. I mean, you know, I've always, and I've told you this before, but I told my boys there are four groups of people in the world. The, the Group number one is the smart and the humble. They rule the world. I mean, these are smart people, but they're humble. Number two, the second group of people are the dumb and the humble. Now, that's where I am. That's the best I can come up with. But the thing about the dumb and the humble, they always overperform. They always surprise you. And then there's the smart and the stubborn. They always underperform. And they're all, I mean, they're smart, and they, they can never figure out why life doesn't work out for them, but they never look at the fact that they're stubborn. And then there's group four. Group four is stubborn and stupid. I stupid locked in. So my poor boys, when they were growing up, when they would do something, I would just say, group four. Just so you'll know, I have to say to myself every once in a while, Group Four. (laughs) Well, that's where Judah is. God has warned them, warned them, warned them. The Babylonians are out there at the gate, the barbarians are at the gate. And they're like, we're not going to change. And it's at this this moment, this moment biblically, we find out whether or not this can apply to us. See, God is saying to Judah, the train has left the station. Your your door of opportunity of turning around and avoiding captivity, it's gone. It's evaporated. I mean, it's too late. Trains left the station. There are some people that have the idea that God will just be there. I can can mess around in sin, but, you know, God is always there. He's sugar daddy in the sky. No, that isn't true. Now I want you to read because Jeremiah 29 is where we're going to get to. That's where our verse is. I want you to listen to what Jeremiah 18 says. Because God says to a group of people, this group four, a group of people in Judah, God says, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. I am planning disaster for you instead of good. Now, remember our verse, God says, I have plans for you, not for disaster, but for good. But God is saying to this group, just the opposite. I am planning disaster. So, Turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. The people replied, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own desires. And God forbid, there are probably some of you out there today, maybe not many here at New Spring, but that's what you're saying. You're saying, I know what your word says, God, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, God says, okay, group four. Group four. So... If that's the case and God is planning disaster for a group of people, who then can claim Jeremiah 29, 11? God says I have plans for good and not for disaster. Here is the simple answer, and I'll prove it to you in the next few minutes. It is for people who will stay with God when God doesn't seem to make any sense. Can I say that one more time? Jeremiah 29, 11, and you'll see this so clearly in the next five minutes. Jeremiah 29, 11 is written for people who will stay with God. I mean obey God, trust God when it feels like God is making no sense. And here's a bigger one, maybe it is for people who will trust God, even if it means being in the minority. You know, we have American Christians here today. They have to go along with the majority. I mean, they will concede left and right. What God has to say, because they just cannot, they can, they cannot be in the minority. Well, here's the thing. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not for that person. Well, let's see how it happened. I mean, why do I say that Jeremiah 29, 11 was written for those people who would trust God when God makes no sense? Okay, you're about to see God make no sense. God says to Jeremiah, tell the people this is what the Lord says. Take your choice of life or death. You remember when you were in college and you had like multiple choice choices, five choices? This is, this is a two-question multiple-choice test. Take your choice, life or death. Everyone who stays in Jerusalem will die from war, famine, or disease. But those who go out and surrender to the Babylonians will live. Their reward will be life, for I've decided to bring disaster and not good upon this city, says the Lord. It will be handed over to the king of Babylon who will reduce it to ashes. Now, if I'm Jeremiah, I'm like rubbing my eyes and saying, God, did I get that right? Would you you say that one more time? I mean, because we're expecting just the opposite. I mean, it's, we're expecting God to say, if you want to live, stay in the holy city of Jerusalem and trust me. If you want to die, just go out and surrender to the Babylonians. But now God is saying just the opposite. I'm going to find out where my baby boomers are here today because if you're under 45, you're not going to have any idea what I'm talking about. So just work with me for a second and have pity on my age. When I was, uh, was in the, for some reason in the late, late 70s, it became popular to have disaster movies. And I never did go to them because I thought, I have enough trouble in my life without paying money to sit two and a half hours and watch disaster. But all kinds of disaster movies. And one of them was called The Poseidon Adventure. I hope nobody's going on a cruise tomorrow. (laughs) Because The Poseidon Adventure was about a cruise ship that flipped completely upside down. And the guy who led the rescue effort, he had the most difficult time convincing the people that survived the flip over that relief and safety was going to the bottom of the ship because the bottom was now the top and the top was now the bottom. And my staff knows I talk about the Poseidon effect a whole lot because there are just situations in life where life turns upside down and you have to prepare. You have to prepare to see things in that light. And that's where the people of Judah were. It's the Poseidon effect. Down is now up, and up is now down. And God is saying to the people, if you want to live, your future is in Babylon. Your future lies in a place you never dreamed you would be, God was saying. Okay, that's history. Let's make it real. Let's get real for a moment. How many of you right now, watching online, North Auditorium, watching television, how many of you right now are living in a place, I'm talking about that metaphorically, You're living in a place you never thought you'd be. You thought your marriage would last a lifetime. When you stood at the altar and you said your vows, you meant them. And you figured that your marriage would last forever, but it didn't. You thought if you took care of your body and ate healthy, you would never get sick. Since you were a Christian, you never thought you would suffer from an emotional disorder. You thought your kids would grow up and live out their training. You figured that you'd always have a well-paying job in your career field, but now it's dried up and gone to a third-world country. Life just puts us in Babylon sometimes. Life just puts us in a situation that's upside down. You're in a place you never thought a God follower would be. What do you do when life puts you in Babylon. Well, at the risk of hanging my personal faults on the line, I will tell you what I do. I mean, I'm a very active, energetic person. I go 100 miles an hour. But when life turns upside down on me, I don't know what you do, but I freeze. It's like I lock up. I shut down. And my history is, and I'm just being real with you, my history is that when I get to Babylon, I, I stop doing the things I normally do. I, start think, I stop thinking the thoughts that I normally think. I, I go from that intense activity to just being like a deer in the headlights. And I think that's what happened to these obedient people because God said, if you want to live, then you need to leave and go out and surrender to Babylon. And so they thought, okay, we're good, just going to go over there and freeze because God's going to bring judgment on our hometown. It won't take long. Then we can go home. We'll be there a matter of days, maybe at most months. We're just going to go there and freeze. We Kansans know what that's like. When you hear those tornado sirens, we go to our basement. And what do we do? We just freeze for a little while and we wait for the all clear. Or it's like waiting by the phone to hear important news, maybe of a medical report, or waiting to see if you get a job. It's hard to wait by the phone, isn't it? I mean, it, it, and it's hard to wait by the phone Waiting for somebody to love you again. <sighs> Waiting for somebody to change. Waiting for life to be right side up again. Who am I talking to today? And you're, you're like me. You're in Babylon today. You're, it's not your fault. I mean, it could be partially yours. It could be somebody else's. But you're in Babylon today. And, and you're, you're like me. You're just like, well, Mark, when life, when life turns right side up again, then I'll start living again. I'll start loving again, I'll start giving again. I mean, that's what these people clearly had to think. When they walked into Babylon and surrendered, they thought, okay, we're just gonna be here, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get a hotel, we're gonna stay here for a few days and wait for the all clear with the sirens to quit, and we'll go back home. But if you go to Jeremiah 29:11, look what comes right before it. Let's go to verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he's exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes. Build homes in Babylon? Man, that could take nine months. Some of you are building a house right now, especially with, a, you know, with the supply chain. Some of you, are, it's taking more than a year to build a house. And God is like, okay, you, you guys have listened to me. You're trusting me when it doesn't make any sense. Go over to Babylon and build a house. Plan to stay. Plant gardens. Man, that could take a while. Eat the fruit they produce. But, I mean, at this point, they're still thinking, well, maybe God's going to just send us over there to flip a house. <laughs> but now look at what comes next. Marry and have kids. Okay. It could take a while. Oh, Listen to this. Find spouses for them. Wait a minute. I'm not married yet. I'm going to go over there and get married. I'm going to have kids. But God says find spouses for your kids so that you can have many grandchildren multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I mean, if I'm a Jewish person, I'm like, God, do you know where you're sending me? You're sending me to Babylon. You want me to pray for them? I talk to Christians sometimes and they'll say things like this to me, Mark, where I work, it's just, it's, it's just a nightmare. Nobody there is a believer. And I just wish I could get out of that. And there's usually some kind of name for the place. where. The... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. God sent you there. Pray for that place. Don't curse that place. Pray for that place. God says you're going to be there a while. Well, I asked a question a few moments ago, and you, you know I struggle with this, so we're, we're fellow travelers here. What do you do when you're in Babylon if you're God's daughter or God's son? We just saw it. The Bible says get on with living. Just function. Get on with life, love your family, go to work, do the right thing, just function. Somebody out there, maybe a lot of you are saying, Mark, that's not a very comforting message. I mean, frankly, it kind of stings. I mean, it's sort of like, well, you know, if you're in Babylon, just cowboy up. Put on your big girl pants. Well, I would agree. If to the people, the poor people living in Babylon, if God just said, get on with life, If if there was a period at the end of that sentence, I'd agree with you. It's sort of like deal with it. But there's not a period there. That's where Jeremiah 29.11 comes in. What is the first word of Jeremiah 29.11? Well, depending upon your translation, it's either for or because. You ever run into the therefore in the Bible? As someone said, when you run into a therefore, better see what it's there for. What that means is it's, it's contingent upon what you just read. So, Jeremiah 29, 11 is, is the follow-up to that get on with life. Let's read. God says, because, for, I know the plans that I have for you. Okay, that's different, isn't it? God is saying to the people he sent to Babylon, get on with living, just keep going, just function, don't freeze, because... God said, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now, I remember the first time I really began to do a deep dive into this verse, and it it just... it. It's, it's sort of like watching, you know, we had the fireworks the other day at the park. It's sort of like Jeremiah 29, 11. The first time we read it, it's like that single, it's like that single firework that ascends into the sky, but then it explodes and it comes out in all this majesty. That's kind of what happens in Jeremiah 29, 11, because for those of you who thought it's a good verse, it's even way better than you thought it was. Take that word, no, for instance. I know the plans I have for you. That word in the Hebrew is an interesting word. It means to know by seeing. Now, it's different when you know something as a fact and you know it because you've seen it and experienced it. I mean, I know there's DNA, but I've got to be honest, I've never seen that double helix under a microscope. I know, I know it's there, but, boy, if you're a scientist and you've, you've looked at it and you've gotten into genetics, I mean, you know it in a different way than I know it. I know there's Spain. I've never been to Spain. I've been to Oklahoma, for all of you who remember Three Dog (laughs) Night. God is saying, I know the plans that I have for you because I've seen your future. You see, God is like saying to you who are struggling here today, but you trust God. God is like, go ahead and get on with life because I've seen your future. You can't see it right now, but God said, I've seen your future. I can't read this verse without thinking about my dad. Those of you here a long time ago, you remember my dad. He pastored the same church in Texas for 50 years, and then for 11, 12 years, he was our care pastor here. And he was such a wonderful man with such a tender heart. Christmas was always interesting at our house. We always put the Christmas tree up. Usually we would go to South Texas, Texas, Uh, for Thanksgiving, and then we'd come home Thanksgiving evening. we put up our Christmas tree, and and you're going to laugh at this, but this is just kind of a hill country of Texas thing. We would always cut down a cedar tree on the property of my grandfather and bring it home on top of the car, and we'd get home, put that cedar tree in the house, and it would just aromatize the entire house. And my parents were always planners. I mean, they were always on top of stuff. They would start putting my Christmas presents out Thanksgiving night. And I got to tell you, for somebody with ADD, waiting from Thanksgiving to Christmas to get your gift is torture. And so I would look at those boxes and and, and those presents under the tree, and I'd want to know what was in there, and I would start asking questions. And my mother was heartless on this. She would just shut me down. Don't ask me any questions. If you ask me about it again, I'll just put it up, give it to somebody else. But my my dad was a piece of work on that. Because Dad could not keep a secret if his life depended on it. And if Dad was thinking it, his face just showed it. And I knew that, and I hate to admit this, but I exploited it. <laughs> so we might be in the living room listening to music or something. Dad and I used to do that a lot. We'd just listen to music together and kind of talk. And So I might be listening to music in the living room, and so I'd say to Dad, reckon what's in that box right there. And Dad would say, well, it's, it's that you're going to have to wait for that. So I'd just start asking him questions about what was in there. And first questions I would ask him, I'd ask him bizarre questions about stuff I knew wasn't in the box, but I just wanted to get him in the rhythm of answering my question. And then I'd just start asking and kind of playing 20 questions, but then it wouldn't be long before I'd start getting in the zone, and his face would tell me that. And I'd see this sort of grin on his face. Okay, then I would go in for... And then if I got close to guessing it, he'd start giggling. He'd get this giggle, and he couldn't stop. He couldn't help himself. And I would wind up getting my Christmas present December 13th, and it'd just make my mom (laughs) furious. did this for years. Now i got to tell you, every time I read Jeremiah 29, 11, and God says, I know the plans that I have for you. See, the reason why my dad couldn't stop himself from giggling, he knew what was in there. I didn't know what was in there. It was under wraps, but he knew what was in there. And he couldn't stop the smile on his face. And i just got to tell you today, if you could get up into heaven and you could be in the throne room of God and you could see the face of your heavenly father, he would be smiling because he knows what he's wrapped up for you. And now let's look at another word, the plans. Now, some of you will have the word thoughts in your Bible. That's a good word, too, because there are companion verses in the Bible that do use the word thought. But neither plan nor thoughts gives us everything that we need to get here. I started to ask where our engineers are, but I know we have a lot of engineers here. And you guys and gals, you probably don't like to raise your hand in a crowd. That's part of being an engineer. You like... You like, to work on, you like to work on how things work. Well, I think you engineers can understand this better than anybody else because this word thought or plan, it's closest to the word engineering. Uh, we get our word machinations from this word. Machinations, the root word, machine. I mean, think about this. God is saying, and this is one of the biggest things that we're going to get because what will happen is if you don't get this part of it, you're going to be like, okay, that's real cool, Mark. You said I need to follow God when He doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm at that place. God doesn't seem to make any sense right now. And you said God knows the plans that he has for me, but I just don't see them materializing in my life. This is the part of the message you need more than anything else because what God is saying is I know the engineering. I know how the pieces fit together. Would you take it from somebody who's followed God for a long time and lived for a while? I have watched in my life as things would break apart and there'd be broken pieces like James Taylor used to sing, sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground. I have watched as God would pick up those broken pieces, things I would think were useless, and he would start putting them together. And I've watched him build something magnificent out of broken pieces. That's what God is saying. God is like, "I, I did the engineering here. I open with a question today. I ask the question, how do we resolve God loves me, but bad things happen? Isn't it true that when we struggle to figure out where God is, in time we'll see there was a reason. One of the biggest reasons why Christ followers lose or diminish their faith is because we expect God to do the engineering the way we would do the engineering I bet you six weeks don't go by my preaching here at New Spring that I don't give you this verse. I think about it nearly every day. God says, my thoughts, in Isaiah 55. Thoughts, there's the same word. My engineering. My thoughts. In fact, this would be the best way of saying it. The way I put things together. I mean, it's one thing to have a schematic. It's something else to have a sequence of, of assembly. And God is saying, the way I put things together is not the way you put things together. Neither are your designs my designs, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than yours. God is basically saying, if you could figure out my design for your life, you still wouldn't put the pieces together the way way I would. And God's like, you're playing checkers, I'm playing 3D chess. And that's why human reasoning can never lead to God's plans. I mean, you know the way to get to heaven, I hope. If not, you'll know it in a moment. If you were coming up with a way to go to heaven, what would you, what would you come up with? Well, I know what most people think. You Try to be a good person. Well, the problem is good in God's definition is perfect. And I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. But, I mean, that's what most people think. If you ask someone, do you think you're going to heaven? Yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm a nice person. I, I then we start talking about what we do or what we don't do. I mean, or or, or it could be religion. See, that's the problem with religion. Religion is a human, man made nomenclature. And, and it's kind of human beings' ideas about how you might get into heaven. So you join a particular group and you, you follow the rituals and you do the things that this group says do. But then again, that's, not, that's got no equity in heaven. They may have equity down here on the earth, but it's not real how would you how how would you what would be your way if you came up with your way to go to heaven would if you were god would you recognize that the human race had no hope? There's no way they can be good, so you take your son, your only only begotten son who is God, and send him into the world and let him become God and human at the same time. Let him live the life that we live, deal with the problems that we deal with, and run the table for 33 years and never do one thing wrong, and then after he lived that perfect life, would you put him on a cross and let him be nailed there and let thorns be hammered into his head, like have his beard pulled out? Would you let people spit in his face and for six hours hang between heaven and earth and die for the human race so that we as as broken sinners could come and bring all of our sin and have it placed on Christ and have his perfect record transferred to us and have him come out of the grave three days later and offer this to anybody who will just simply believe? Is that the way you would come up with to go to heaven? I don't think in a million years, but that's what God came up with. Because you see, his designs are higher than our designs. And the way he puts things together is different from the way that we put things together. Hey, if you're in Babylon today, and I know many of you are, I want you to know God is, God is working on your future. One more time, if you're in Babylon today, you may not feel like anything is happening, but God is up in heaven, and his machinery is running. He is engineering. He is working on your future if you will trust him when he doesn't seem to make any sense. (laughs) Mary Alice, from time to time, will just come to me and say, we need to get out of town. And I'll say, why do we need to get out of town? She said, I want to have you all to myself. And that's a sweet thing to say. I mean, it's wonderful after all these years. By the way, Mary Alice and I, I think it was last week, we met 50 years ago that day. We were in high school. Came as a surprise to me because I didn't know I was 50 yet. But in any event, I must be. But after, after knowing me all these years for her to say, I just want to get you out of town and have you all to myself. That's a real sweet thing to say. So we'll typically go to Fort Worth, our hometown, or Kansas City or someplace, just get away for a few days. But almost the same thing happens every time we get on the turnpike, especially if we're coming back from Texas, and we get up to about mile mark of 25 on the turnpike, and I'll think I'm still answering Mary Alice's questions. I'm still engaged, still talking to her, and she'll look at me and say this, trip's over, isn't it? And I'll say, what do you mean? she said the trips over i can see those wheels turning and i'll say you can't see them she says yes i can you know what she's saying she's like mark is planning again mark's strategizing mark's mark's working on a series I mean, he's sitting here, he's talking to me, but I see those wheels turning. If you could get in the throne room of your heavenly father, you may be in Babylon today, but his wheels are turning because the word of God tells us that God is planning. He's strategizing. He's building schematics for your life. He's putting those pieces, not the way you would put those pieces together, but he's putting the pieces together in the best way. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but right now it feels like nothing's making any sense. I want you to, we're going to close with this verse, Psalm 138. Here's a verse that you want to put, uh, you want to make this note, you want to put it up on your wall. If, if you're into ink, you might want to put this on you. <laughs> Psalm 138, 8. the Lord will work out his plans for my life. Now, that's read kind of in vanilla way. Let's put some inflection in there. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love endures forever. Whether you're 12 years old or 92 or somewhere in between, hear that today. Don't let this just be dry theology. Don't let this just be a verse out of the Bible. Own it. Claim it. If you're willing to trust God when he seems to make no sense, you can claim that verse. The Lord will work out his plan for my life. Well, that's our start. We got three more weeks to talk about this verse. But I just pray that today has been a day of help. Could we just bow our heads for a moment here? Because it could be that somebody's like, "Mark, <clears throat> I'm not sure I know God. I've heard about him. Maybe you grew up in church, maybe friends talk about him. But you're just like, "Mark, I'm not sure I have God in my life." Well, I gave that plan that God came up with a few moments ago, and the good news is, you don't have to join a religion, and it, you can never be good enough. <clears throat> it's a gift. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the Bible says if you're willing to trust the message, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. If you're willing to trust the message, believe the message by faith, then God will do a miracle inside of you, and you will be, in the words of Jesus, born again because you'll be starting a brand-new life that won't just last for this life but will last forever. And so how do you get a gift? Well, you just reach out and receive it. And so I'm going to do something in the next 60 seconds. I want to pray a prayer that asks for this gift of eternal life, forgiveness, and a relationship with God. And if you want to pray with me, you can. And I'm going to pray it line by line. we will pray it in segments and with a break. You don't have to pray this out loud. You can pray it in your heart with the important things that you mean it. So if you want this, let's, get, let's go right now. Dear God. I am a sinner. I'm broken and I can't fix myself. But I believe you love me very much. I do believe Jesus died to pay for my sin. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive... I want him to be my savior and my king. Help me to live for you. I trust you to work out your plan for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just a few more seconds. You say, Mark, I prayed with you, but I have no idea what just happened to me. Well, if you meant it from your heart, God will take care of the rest. But I have a gift I want to give you. And if you're watching online or on television, All you have to do is text the word prayed, P-R-A-Y-A-D, to 97,000, and just follow the steps and we'll mail it to you. But if you're here today, you don't have to wait. You can get it right now. There's a New Spring Bible, just like I preach from. You say, Mark, I have a lot of questions. I wrote a book called My New Walk with God that will answer a lot of questions. One of my favorite things in here is a journal. I, I want to get one of these boxes someday. And journal where you can just write down your thoughts as you read the Bible, and then there's some cool coupons in here. No strings attached, really, no agenda. We just want to take your first steps with you. So if you're here on campus, on any part of our campus, either South or North Auditorium, and you want this today and you just pray with me, all you got to do is take out your phone, text PRAYED, P R A Y E D to 97000. Go back to any info center. You'll recognize it by the color. And, and you say, well, Mark, I don't have a phone. Just go back and say, I pray with Mark. That'll work. Thank you for being here. We'll pick this up again next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.